Well, welcome again to Trinity Grace Church. We're so glad that you're here this morning, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. For those of you I haven't yet met, my name is Michael, and I'm the pastor here at Trinity Grace. And if you've got a Bible, you'll want to turn to John chapter 21. We'll be in John chapter 21 this morning. You can also find the passage printed for you there in your bulletin. And this morning, we're going to be wrapping up our series on the life of Peter. Over the past seven weeks, we've been looking at passages from the Gospels where we see Peter interacting with Jesus. And we've done this primarily because we believe that Peter is a character that we can relate with. He's a character who struggles with what it means to follow Jesus. He doesn't always understand what Christ is trying to teach him. He has questions and he's got doubts. He fails a lot and we can resonate with him. But in the midst of all of this, what we see time and time again in the life of Peter is that he continues to follow Jesus. He doesn't give up. A character like this is attractive because we can relate. His life isn't clean. Peter lives in reality. And in each week, we have tried to place ourselves in the shoes of Peter, attempting to see how Jesus relates to people like me and you, people who oftentimes struggle as well. And in many ways, the past two weeks that we've looked at Peter's life, they join together with this morning in one big story. Uh, three weeks ago, we got a chance to see who Peter thought he was. Remember, he thought he was strong. He, he overestimated his faithfulness. He promised that he would never deny Jesus. And then, later on that night, um, we see who Peter actually, uh, who he actually was. When the pressure began to build in his life... Uh, and following Jesus got tough, he denied that he even knew Jesus three times. And it was Peter's worst moment in many ways. It drove him to deep sadness and regret and despair. And that's where we left off in the life of Peter. He thought he was strong. He realized how weak and frail he was. And things between Jesus and Peter are not right at this point. The relationship had been broken by Peter's failure. They have not yet reconciled or restored this relationship. And that's where we find Peter this morning as we pick up the story in John chapter 21. So you follow along as I read John chapter 21. In verses 1 and 2, you see seven disciples are back by the Sea of Galilee. And then in verse 3, it says this. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad, aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. 
He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Well, this is God's word. It's given to us because he loves us and cares for us. He wants us to know him. And so before we look at it together this morning, let me pray for us. Lord, we are thankful for your word, for the way that it is a light unto our feet, for the way that it shows us the way we should go, for the way that it points us to Jesus and his great love towards us. We pray that we would see that this morning that we would see the love and forgiveness of Jesus, that we would experience it deeply, and that love and forgiveness would set us free. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I don't know if you remember this, but I remember being in elementary school, and often when people in the class failed a test, uh, and more people than not failed the test, the teacher would let the class have a do-over. Um, because no one ever did as well as they would have liked. The teacher would sometimes let everyone have a second chance at the test. It was always a welcome relief when you failed the test and then found out that your teacher was going to give a do-over the next day. I loved that about being in elementary school. And it's not that big a deal or even that surprising to get a do-over when you're in elementary school. But if you're anything like me, you oftentimes wish that it worked that way in other areas of life, don't you? You wish that oftentimes you would get a do-over in other areas of your life. You wish that it was easy as it was in elementary school to get a do-over. I wonder if you've ever done something that you immediately regretted. I wonder if you've ever said something that you wish you could take back. I wonder if you've ever hurt someone in a way that stings for days and weeks afterwards. I mean, we all have. After you've done something that you wish you hadn't done, there's lots of feelings that begin to follow in our hearts and our lives. Some of us begin to feel shame. We feel like we're unworthy. Others of us do things that we wish we hadn't done and we begin to feel guilt. We realize that we've done something wrong. Others feel regret, wishing that we could have done it differently. Others begin to feel remorse, deep sadness for the pain that you've caused. As we pick up in the Peter story this morning, we can confidently guess that he was feeling many of these same things. Think for a minute about Peter, what he must have been feeling at this time. The last time we saw him, he denied knowing Jesus three times on the night before his crucifixion. And after denying Jesus, he likely begins to believe that he'll never see his friend again because he sees him crucified before his very eyes. Peter must have felt terrible. He likely lost nights of sleep. He was likely anxious about what he had done. He was plagued by guilt and remorse. It's not hard to imagine that Peter felt worthless after this failure of his. We all know what Peter is feeling to one degree or another, I think. I mean, who hasn't felt anxious in a relationship because you said something about a friend behind their back that you wish you hadn't said? Who hasn't felt worthless after once again following, falling into that same temptation and sin, the one that you promised yourself that you wouldn't fall into ever again? Who hasn't been plagued with guilt and remorse in your life after doing something that you thought you weren't even capable of? 
What do you do with your regrets? How do you deal with your guilt and remorse? Is it possible to experience renewal and forgiveness in the midst of your failures? This morning, we take a look at the restoration of Peter. He desperately needed restoration. There is no hiding the fact that he had blown it big time. And as we pick up in the story this morning, you notice that the disciples have left Jerusalem. So they go back to their hometown north in Galilee. They made their way back up north in the disorienting week that they just experienced, Easter week. And Jerusalem was almost too much for them to handle. They witnessed the arrest and the crucifixion of their Lord. And they head back home and they get back to what they're used to. They go fishing. It's almost comical the way this scene begins. Peter and six of the other disciples are back by the Sea of Galilee where their adventure began three years ago. Remember, Jesus calls them by the Sea of Galilee three years ago. And they don't quite know what to do with themselves. So you can picture Peter kind of shrugging his shoulders and deciding that he's going to go fishing. After all, Peter's got to make a living. He's got to eat. And he grew up as a commercial fisherman. And he decides to do this, and we read that the other disciples decide to go with him. They've got nothing better to do at this point. So they go out, and they fish all night. And in verse 3, we see that they caught nothing. And as the sun begins to rise over the water, they see a figure on the shore about 100 yards away, and it's just far enough and dark enough where these disciples can't make out who it is. But in verse 5, this person yells out a question, Children, do you have any fish? And the disciples have to respond in the negative. And then this person gives them some fishing advice. Cast the net on the other side of the boat and you'll find some fish. And you stop and think, wait a second, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. Remember back when Jesus called Peter in Luke chapter 5 for the first time? This scene is very familiar to that. It's very similar. And they listen to this person's advice and they cast their nets on the other side of the boat and they catch so many fish they can't haul them all in. And then it clicks in their minds, this is Jesus, it's the Lord. So Peter, in his normal rash bull in the china shop way, puts on his cloak and he jumps into the ocean to get to Jesus first. And when when they got to the land, they noticed something that's so normal that it's beautiful. Jesus had started a charcoal fire and made the disciples breakfast. Now, remember just a few days earlier, Peter had denied Jesus around a charcoal fire in the courtyard of the high priest. And now here he is with Jesus around a charcoal fire about to experience the restoration and renewal that Christ wants to bring to his life. Jesus and his disciples finish breakfast and Jesus zeroes in on Peter. And this is the portion of the passage that I want to spend the rest of our time on this morning. In verse 15 through 19, we see Jesus bring restoration and renewal, and Peter desperately needed this restoration and renewal. It's the restoration and renewal that would launch Peter off in bold service and love towards others. If you think about it, Peter in the Gospels is a completely different person than the Peter we see in the book of Acts. He's completely changed. He is bold and fearless in Acts where oftentimes he's fearful and faithless in the Gospels. What was it that changed him? Was it uh, win one for the Gipper speech by Jesus? No, it was his forgiveness and restoration that he'd experienced. 
So as we look at these verses, I want you to notice the question that Jesus asks Peter. I want you to notice Peter's answer to this question. And then I want you to notice the result that comes from this interaction. First, let's spend just a few minutes looking at the question that Jesus asks Peter. We see Jesus' series of questions begin in verse 15. After they'd finished breakfast, Jesus turns to Peter and he asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And this first question is unique because Jesus asks Peter about his love in comparison to something else. Do you love me more than these? Now, what is Jesus comparing Peter's love to here? Well, remember that in the past, Peter constantly compared his love for Jesus in relation to the other disciples. He would look at them and say, they might, not, they might leave you, but I never will. They might deny you, but I never will. Peter had elevated himself many times in the past for his love towards Jesus more than the other disciples. Now Jesus is compassionately turning him and asking him after he's failed miserably, do you still love me more than these disciples? More than these other disciples? And at this point, Peter has softened a bit. He's grown humble. No longer is he going to compare himself with the love of others, he'll just answer for himself from now on. And after this first question, Jesus continues to ask Peter the same question two more times. Jesus asks a second time, do you love me in verse 16? And then he asks a third time in verse 17. Jesus asked Peter about his love three times in this passage. And it's so important that he does because it mirrors the three times that Peter denied Jesus. Jesus wanted Peter's last memory of his meeting with him to be his threefold, I love you, and not his threefold, I don't know you. Jesus meant these questions to heal Peter, to restore Peter. But this healing and this restoration hurt. It stung a bit. We see at the end of verse 17 that Peter was grieved that Jesus had to ask him three times whether or not he loved him. It reminded Peter of something he would rather forget. A time in his life that he wished had not had happened. It hurt Peter that he was confronted with his failures once again. It grieved Peter that Jesus had to ask him three times about his devotion. But Jesus hurts Peter so that he can heal him. No true restoration is possible without recognizing and exposing the problem. The problem's got to be exposed first before restoration can be applied. Without really recognizing and exposing the problem, you might find temporary relief, but you're not going to experience the true redemption that Jesus wants to bring. There's a huge difference between temporary relief and redemption. Relief is something that makes us feel better for a moment, and you and I can find relief in hundreds of different things in our lives. We look for it all the time in affluence, in sex, in food, in alcohol, in beauty. And these things satisfy because they're good things, but they don't satisfy for long. They give us temporary relief. But redemption is something that actually makes us better. And it's something only Jesus can offer us. And we see that Jesus wants to offer Peter and us redemption, complete forgiveness, He wants to make us truly better to bring restoration. But in order for that to happen, it's going to hurt in some ways. It reminds me of a story that was told by C.S. Lewis in his book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. In, In that book, there's a boy named Eustace. 
who everyone hates because he's mean, rude, and selfish in the, in the book. And in the book, he finds himself on a boat, the Don Shredder, and he sails to an island, and he begins to explore that island, and he finds himself in a cave full of treasure at one point. And he falls asleep on the treasure of a dragon. And because he falls asleep on the treasure of a dragon, when he wakes up, he finds that he's turned himself into a dragon. And as time goes on, he realizes that he's stuck. He can't become a boy again, no matter how hard he tries. He can't get back home. And he's going to be stuck on the island for the rest of his life. And in many ways, that's a picture of us in our failure and in our sin. And then one day, the great lion Aslan shows up. And as you might know, Aslan is a character that represents Jesus in the story. And the lion leads him to a clear pool of water. And Aslan asks him if he wants to undress and jump in. And Eustace thinks for a minute, and he realizes that Aslan wants him to take off his dragon skin. And so he begins to claw off his scales and shed his skin, and he finally peels off his skin and realizes that underneath the first layer of skin, there's a second layer of dragon skin, and then he tries a third time to peel the scales off, but they're still there, and Eustace begins to grow frustrated and helpless. In a sense, Eustace is trying to apply a remedy taking off the scales, but they continually come back. And finally, the lion says in the book, you're going to have to let me do it for you. And this is what Eustace says in the book. He says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off just as I thought I'd done myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there I was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the other times had been. Then he caught hold of me and he threw me into the water. And it stung like anything, but only for a moment. And then I saw why I'd turned into a boy again. Look, when it comes to the restoration that Jesus wants to bring you and me, there's no real healing without some degree of hurting. But here's the thing that you've got to remember. When Jesus confronts you, it oftentimes hurts, but it'll never harm you. Oftentimes it'll hurt you, but it's never intended to harm you. If you want redemption, it's a painful process because it requires us to look at the issues in our lives that we'd rather not look at. It requires us shedding our old way of life. If you've ever been hurt, if you've ever been grieved by your failures and your struggles, then it's likely, if you've never been hurt or if you've never been grieved by your failures and struggles, then it's likely that you've never allowed Jesus to deal with them. Jesus aims to restore and to renew, but sometimes that restoration can hurt, but it never is meant to harm. It's always meant to lead to life, to wholeness. And so we see that after Jesus asks these three questions that hurt Peter in some ways, we turn and see Peter answer these questions from Jesus. We see the three answers to Jesus's questions in verses 15, 16, and 17. Jesus simply asks, do you love me? And Peter answers the first two times by saying, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And after the third time, Peter is grieved and he appeals to the fact that Jesus knows his heart. After the third time, he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Notice that Peter in this passage doesn't appeal to his devotion or his strength or his commitment. 
After what Peter experienced, it's no longer about his devotion. It's no longer about his self-confidence as before. He knows that he isn't strong. And at this point, all he has left is love. That's all he can offer Jesus is the love that he has for him in his heart. He's been stripped of everything else. Look, in this passage, we see that restoration hinges on one thing. And that's love for Christ. It's a little bit strange how simple Jesus' question is. He asks Peter three times, do you love me? And I wonder if you could write this story, if you were the author of the book of John. I wonder what kind of questions you might expect Jesus to ask at this point. I wonder what kind of questions you might expect Jesus to ask after such a failure. Maybe we'd expect Jesus to ask, Peter, how could you have done that? What were you thinking? I'd just like to get in your mind for a minute. You know, share with me the process of events that occurred a few nights ago when you denied me. Or, Peter, you know how that made me feel when you denied me that night? How bad that hurt? Or, Peter, finally, do you realize how weak you are? Finally, I'm glad you finally realized that you didn't seem to realize it before, but now maybe you do. Look, once Peter comes face to face with how deeply he fell, Jesus wants him to focus on one thing. One thing for restoration, and it's love. I like how one commentator put it when he said, the question is not, Peter, how much have you wept? Peter, how often have you fasted? Peter, how frequently have you prayed? Instead, it's, do you love me? What does Jesus want from you? What does he want from me? What's the prerequisite to restoration and forgiveness? It's simply love for Jesus. It's almost too easy, right? It's too good to be true. Jesus wants to offer redemption to those who love and trust him. He does it here for Peter, and he offers it to us too. I wonder how you respond to this idea of love being the only thing needed for restoration. I wonder if you want the restoration that Jesus offers you this morning. Maybe... If you're like me, you've gotten so used to projecting wholeness that you've masked the need for restoration in your life. And maybe you know that you need restoration, but you think that you're too broken for God to use you. You think that your mistakes and failures have disqualified you in some way from receiving love and ministering to others. Or maybe you're a person who's just complacent in your brokenness. You've gotten so used to your brokenness that you've learned to live with it. It's just the way it is, and you've lost interest in the restoration that Jesus wants to bring. There's lots of different feelings that we experience when we hear about the possibility of restoration. But we see from this passage that restoration is on offer. And all that you and I need is one thing to have it, and it's love for Christ. All you have to do is find Jesus more beautiful than anything this world has to offer. It's not about your devotion. It's not about your strength of repentance. It's not about how much you've said you're sorry or the promises that you'll never fail again. It's simply about your love for Christ. Do you love Jesus? And if you love Jesus, you can have restoration. You can experience renewal. And we turn and see that after Jesus restores you, he recommissions you to move and to serve and love others. Once Peter's restored, we see that he's sent back out to bring restoration to other people. We see Jesus recommission Peter, in a sense, 
based on his love. We see it three times in the passage. Each time after Peter confesses his love for Jesus, Jesus gives Peter a mission. He asks Peter to feed my lambs, tend my sheep, to feed my sheep. Peter, once a broken man, received this redemption and restoration from Jesus, and now he's sent back out in order to bring that redemption and restoration to other people. Peter's able to move out and minister out of his brokenness, his frailty. It's no longer about his confidence. It's about his weakness. You've got to think that this interaction strengthened Peter to love others in significant ways. I can just imagine Peter in my mind coming upon someone later on in his ministry who says, I just don't know if God could ever love me. Or or I don't know if God could ever use me. Or I don't know if what I did can ever be forgiven. And you can almost just imagine Peter in your mind's eye saying, let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you a story. Just like Peter, our healing is meant to bring healing to others. We are what one Christian writer calls wounded healers. As we're aware of our own restoration, we've got the ability to bring that healing to other people that we interact with on a daily basis. What have you experienced uniquely that qualifies you to bring healing to other people? Maybe you've experienced divorce in your family of origin. And now you're able to empathize and offer hope to those who also come from broken families. Maybe you've experienced the death of a close family member in your life. And now you can sit with someone in grief, knowing in a sense what they're experiencing. Maybe you've overcome an addiction to sex or to alcohol or to food. And now you can help others travel the same healing path that you've traveled yourself. Maybe you've struggled with depression and anxiety and you have a deep sympathy for people who are struggling too. Look, Jesus uses our wounds to bring healing to other people. Peter moves out and he uses his healing to help others heal. And we're called to do the same exact thing, to move out and be agents of redemption and restoration in this world. We're called to move out as wounded healers, showing others just how much redemption is possible when you love and trust Jesus. But this service to others isn't going to be easy. In fact, Jesus predicts suffering for Peter in verses 18 to 19. Peter's going to be wildly successful, but it's interesting that Jesus doesn't mention that at all. He mentions the suffering that he's going to experience. As always, following Jesus in the renewal of all things is going to be difficult. It's going to require Peter to die to himself. It's what Jesus is hinting at when he tells Peter that he'll stretch out his hands. It's what most commentators believe to be a reference to him carrying his cross as he himself is crucified in the early 60s under the emperor Nero. But Jesus reminds Peter that he now follows the resurrected king. Jesus is the crucified, now resurrected king, and he tells us that as we follow him, you're going to experience death in many ways. But we follow one who experienced death, and he came out on the other side, and he's looking at Peter here, and he's looking at you and me saying that you're going to experience it as well, but I'm going to bring you through it. You follow a resurrected king. Jesus, in this passage, he comes, and in many ways, he ends where he begins with Peter calling him to follow me. And isn't it interesting? The last words that Peter hears from Jesus are the first words that he hears from him as well. Follow me. 
mean, it's the same call. It never gets more complicated than that. After all of their history together, after all the miracles, after all the healing, after three years being with one another, it's the same call, follow me, never more advanced. And now Peter's empowered to do it in ways that he never was before. He's now a wounded healer, confident of Christ's love towards him. Look, what if we became known as wounded healers with What if we were passionate about bringing the restoration and redemption that we've experienced to our co-workers and our neighbors, our friends, and our family members? And that's an exciting thought. It's an exciting mission that God has given each one of us in this room. But it's only possible as you come to understand and believe more deeply that Jesus loves you and he wants to bring restoration to your life. We're a people who experience Jesus' love and restoration. And as we do that, which was purchased for us on the cross through his wounds, you and I will be able to bring that love and restoration to others. We're the ones who've received restoration from a wounded healer in a lot of ways. From a wounded healer, Jesus, and he calls us to move out and do the same thing for others as we point to him. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your deep love, for your care and your compassion in our lives, for the fact that you don't ask us to devote more necessarily and primarily. That does come, but primarily you want us to know that we love you, that we trust you and you alone. And we pray this morning that we would do that, that you would help us to trust you with all of our hearts, that we would experience the renewal and restoration that you want to bring And that would compel us to move out, to renew, and to love others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.